Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire cartoon fan podcast. This is episode 463, and today we'll be talking about The Past Within, from Unicorn Warriors Eternal. I'm GC13. And I'm David. So, uh, so David, do you remember this episode now? Easily. (laughs) And actually, it was so memorable, I forgot that I've at least seen one more episode further than this, because, of course, with the cliffhanger of seeing Copernicus explode, you gotta keep watching at least one more, right? And maybe you're wondering if Winston is actually a werewolf now. You don't have to wonder, David. (laughs) I mean, he's definitely a werewolf. I guess there's really no other way to interpret that scene, but you know. (laughs) Maybe see it followed up. Or can werewolves swim? Who knows? Hmm. Well, let's just say uh, Winston becomes highly mobile. (laughs) If there's flying werewolves, I'm extremely hyped. Oh, you will enjoy, like, the last episode. (laughs) It's in the goofiest way you can imagine. Just, just, trust me, it's fantastic. I'm definitely unprepared. Oh, there's no way you could possibly be prepared. But talk about sympathy for the devil. This one almost makes you feel sorry for our little, uh, little fox, doesn't it? Yeah, that was a mysterious start to this episode. We focus in on the fox who you might think would continue to be an antagonist, but is pretty much brushed aside by the presence of the giant kraken. And the only dialogue she has really makes her seem sympathetic. She seems like she's, she herself is trying to stop Emma or, well, really stop Melinda. Definitely Melinda. (laughs) From using well, her powers, or from existing. Of course, it's not definite if it's simply Morgan, or if the evil that the unicorn warriors fight is normally Morgan, and this fox is just somehow related to that magic. It's... I, I, don't, I don't really get it. Um, this episode does not make that clear. <laughs> so we see the origins. She did toss in a what is to become of me. Right, was this a moment of clarity? Like, is this what the evil culminated in? If we were just to skip right to the heart of this episode, we see what is a a very quick backstory for Melinda's powers, her home. A very sad backstory. Sad, but, like, truly very precise. (laughs) Um, I guess... It was hard for me to understand the first time watching, and I think I get it a little more the second time, but it's hard to understand how much is just memory and how much is, like, an actual travel across space and time. But I'm leaning toward the side that Emma's consciousness is simply reviewing memories that she's inserting herself into, and so I can ignore statements like Merlin saying, hmm, it appears you're both in the future and present. What a paradox. Well, he says that she's not here. She's still in the future. And yet it's paradoxical because she's right there. Now, what I find interesting is Seng, who used the same cosmic eyes to look for her, could not find Melinda. She was somewhere else. So something happened. This is not just Emma hallucinating Melinda's memories. But what exactly happened? Ooh, that... Is a very good question. 
I'm going to, you know, just do a little bit more hypothesizing. I don't think her body went anywhere. She got hit really hard and fell into a house, right? <laughs> it would make sense. Seng is probably keying in on some kind of spirit essence, not on the, the body itself. Exactly. So we already know there's sort of, it's not just competing minds or consciousnesses. It's like competing souls within a body. We don't know anything about how the soul system works in this universe. Not nearly as well as explained as in, say, Pillars of Eternity, for instance. <laughs> no. So I, I think it suffices to say that somehow Emma is the predominant soul. She is seen somehow memories, but I don't know. I don't know where Melinda is. I don't possibly understand how her soul is not visible. Also. You'll note that Melinda was the one in the driver's seat here. How dare you invade my memories? Emma can only talk to her through the uh, reflections. Yeah, see that, but that's confusing too. <laughs> Invading her memories, but whose soul is visible or not visible? Are neither of their souls visible? Are they off in some memory space that's saying can't see? Also, I guess it's interesting because saying at some points when looking for Melinda was looking for someone who seemed to be predominantly ruled by Emma's personality. So, okay, so we don't understand. Plot convenience, right? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna say, not nearly enough episodes, inconvenience. Precisely. So, yeah, Emma's not having any actual influence on the past. This is all just a sort of wish-washy memory. And I, I almost feel like the scene that happened didn't go down quite as... uh. Yeah, you'd think that if it was, you'd think that if this was an actual, like, she went to the past and did things, you'd think Melinda would sure as heck remember her. Yeah, and honestly, it, this is a very childlike memory. Like, Melinda's playing in the woods, she has the dark magic, and it, it seems like it was just one day it slipped out that she had these powers that Morgan did not want her to have. It's not really explained if the powers were merely inherited, or if the powers come from some external source. When Morgan tries to extract the powers from her, it's clear that the, the powers are not merely a power, but are also some entity itself with its own will. And then, super confusingly, the powers partially influence or corrupt Morgan, turning her into a... Well, green monster of energy, the same one we see starting the series, that has apparently plagued humanity time and time again. It doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> it doesn't make yeah. sense why this evil is just generically trying to hurt people. It wasn't trying to hurt people as purple magic, but now as green magic it is. <laughs> is it? Is it split? I, I don't understand. I think it was lying dormant for the most part. In Melinda, you see when she does her flame-on uh, human torch routine, that's when uh, Morgan realizes that she talks to the entity directly. You will not have her. So uh, she she knows what's up. She knows this thing will eventually start to take over Melinda, and she does not want that to happen. In fact, um, we see, uh, I don't want to talk too much about the fate of Morgan, but let's just say that if she had any inkling that this might happen to her daughter, I can completely understand why she would want to strip that power from her. Yeah, it's confusing to understand what state things were left in, though, because 
Well, at least in the present, the fox, who may or may not be Morgan or related in some way, is still trying to, you know, specifically prevent Melinda from becoming corrupted. Which is weird, because the green energy is what seemed to also be corrupted. So are they both on paths to corruption, partially influenced by this purple entity? Or did Morgan just kind of freak out and then decide, I'm just going to live out my life as green monsters now and serve as a distraction? Or is there like a third entity? There's like Morgan and the crazy green monster energy and Melinda and the purple energy. I think <laughs> that what's happened is that the, whatever entity was giving Melinda her power is gone. It ate Morgan and... It's gone from Melinda. She still has the power, but that wolf-like part of it is gone now. So whatever whatever Morgan was very concerned that not be in Melinda, she doesn't have that part anymore. But uh, clearly, she can go into the Avatar state when circumstances dictate. Uh, she still has that ability. If she's not a threat then, though, the question becomes, why does the Fox Lady need to stop Melinda, specifically? Why is she encouraging evil magic? Isn't the evil magic the evil that Morgan was trying to stop? Clearly the fox lady is out to stop Unicorn as a whole. And she, I think this is just her recognizing Melinda as their heavy. Like, if you can prevent Melinda from becoming powerful, you've limited the power of the entire team. Like, she is far and away the the strongest member. Well, far and away, because... Sang <laughs> can't do anything about, well, for instance, a giant kraken. Uh, even if he was not a child, it seems like a pretty hard thing for him to handle on his own. Although we have seen his ability to sort of split himself into multiple beings or, you know, confuse enemies. But I, I don't know if he could actually calm the entire mind of, of a beast that big. And then, of course, what are you going to do with a sword? Like one sword. Ed- Edward can't <laughs> defeat a whole kraken on his own. Clearly, clearly you have not seen Samurai 7. Well, yeah, but is Edward that good? <laughs> he can fly around and he's a decent sword fighter, but he can't really break his break a kraken's grasp that well. He's incapacitated for the whole episode, and even when he cuts free, he uh, never really stays on top. <laughs> All he needs to do is learn whatever crazy technique lets you use an ordinary samurai sword to cut clean through an entire battleship, and uh, he can take care of that kraken, don't you worry. Right. But meanwhile, Melinda, well, she can kind of just one-hit KO anything if she's feeling up to it. Maybe not without some damage to the town. When she stops worrying about civilian casualties. I don't know if... She was more in control if she would be able to more just, like, disintegrate the Kraken. As it is, she seems really fond of explosions. How does she like the fake-out, though, with the lookout? And it's not Melinda who needs to look out, it's actually Copernicus. He doesn't even sacrifice himself for her or anything. It was always going to be Copernicus. I mean, they almost had him (laughs) die at the start of the episode. I thought when he got crushed by the giant tentacle... At the start, that that was going to be the end for him, but the Kraken's skin proved quite soft, so he just kind of got mushed in. Yeah, that was that was another part of the fake-out. You think he looks heavily damaged, and then Seng pulls him out, and he's like, nope, I'm rootin' tootin' ready to go. 
then then it's like yelling look out to the person you don't expect and then the the main character is not the one who the kraken is trying to attack oh so many twists in this fight <laughs> so many twists copernicus is i think at least when the first artwork was shown for this series you know he's the most interesting looking character I mean, he is definitely this show's R2-D2. And I'm not just saying that because he only speaks and whistles. <laughs> but it, it certainly is an influence. Yeah, well, I mean, R2-D2 had so many gadgets in him. Come on. Gadgets and playful. You and... take a little bit of coloration from C-3PO, you know. And he, he, he clearly has the most mystique going on because he is the one who you know, does these resurrections or does the reincarnation injection, which we don't really understand. But, you know, losing him here at the episode five mark, it's hard to feel the same as Emma does or as Melinda does seeing him explode. It's more like, oh, I barely started knowing this guy. How long is it going to take to bring him back? Because I immediately know we can't get rid of him. <laughs> He's very necessary. Yeah. He is very important to the propagation of unicorn as defenders of humanity but like yeah it's just kind of unfortunate to lose him at this point because it feels like there's already a lot of dramatic stakes occurring i mean we have melinda's personality sort of winning over time we have the reveal of the origin of the evil you know we have boyfriend turned into wolf which is, I don't really even know how that's supposed to be important, because he's obviously going to be easy to defeat if he's evil, but also, I guess, sad. Maybe this will be the final challenge for Emma's personality to decide what to do about this guy who's been hanging around and she couldn't quite get rid of. Of course, she's always been very explicit, like, it's over, you gotta go away, you can't follow me. So I'm not sure what dramatic tension him being a wolf is going to add, but I will soon find out. But okay, yeah, now Copernicus is broken as well, so we have to deal with that first. I think that Winston being a werewolf might actually make it harder for Melinda to turn him away. I mean, if you had a werewolf that was uh, willing to let you pet it like that, how could you say no? Well, well, <laughs> I, yeah, I, see? Uh, see? I can't argue necessarily with that. But then again, I can. Um, did you see the, the boat? Did you see the fish? Did you see the blood? Um, the fantasy wolf boyfriend is not all it cracked up to be. Okay, look, I'm just saying, once you see him topless in the woods, you'll understand. Yeah, but they're supposed to, like, turn back into, um, what was that guy's name in Twilight? <laughs> I have no idea. I never watched it. But, you know, it's like, for most of the movie, he's a glistening body that's, um, uh, a human body. So that's kind of the good part. <laughs> they just turn into a wolf every now and then. Yeah, werewolves in A Unicorn follow old school rules. He's only a werewolf under the moonlight. Remember how that guy was a perfectly normal human when the sky was cloudy? Exactly. I think they can make it work. <laughs> oh, but yeah, this was a this was a good one. I I like Melinda as a kid. She's just so friendly this is completely unlike the melinda we have um well we know her uh we definitely know her um, did you notice by the way the callback in that scene with her mother and the the power hmm 
What did Belinda say to Emma in the third episode? She said, relinquish yourself to me, girl. Oh, yeah. And her mother said, relinquish yourself to me. Old wounds, I guess. Mm-hmm. So Emma might not have been involved in the actual events of the past, but the most important parts definitely took place as Emma saw them. Yeah, uh, thinking to Melinda as a kid is one unexpected because, I mean, she's not a sourpuss, but two. I mean, think of what happened to her after that day. I can understand why she became an angry, angry girl. She also, though, is disarming because, well, characters in this show, of which there's only been five episodes, don't talk that much. Right? They're a little more reserved with their words. So just hearing someone freely talk and talk a lot and babble on and sort of have not like modern speech, but, you know, be very childlike and, you know, freely say silly things, which other characters in the show don't. And cannot bear the sound of silence. (laughs) Yeah, so that's fun. And I mean, really, her dialogue is played super fast, too. Melinda does not give Emma a break. Like, she starts speaking the moment Emma's lips close at the end of a sentence. (laughs) So that's entertaining and uh, relatable. Not too bothered about getting an answer to the whole princess question. We're just gonna call you a princess, because you look like one. (laughs) Right, I mean, she's kind of just skipping over details as Emma is struggling to even explain what her name is or where she comes from. Melinda's just like, haha, that's funny. (laughs) That's a basic question, you silly. Yeah, you you dummy. Oh, Susie with baby Melinda. Oh, that would be adorable. (laughs) Susie of Summer Camp Island fame. Of course, of Summer Camp Island fame. (laughs) But yeah, this was, uh, this was definitely a memorable episode, even if quite sad. Uh, Melinda's backstory has a lot of tragedy in it. She definitely earned her transformation from the the bright-eyed, you know, eager to make friends with strangers to, you know, I exist only to destroy the evil. The evil that she must understand is her mother, which has to be. Uh, even more, uh, not sobering, but just embittering. <laughs> just every time she has to go back and fight it again, it's a reminder that uh, maybe she made some mistake as a kid, or, you know, she clearly doesn't blame Merlin, but Merlin is also involved in this whole unicorn warrior's eternal thing. We don't, you know, he seems quite uh, bitter and, well, defeated mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, he lost his wife out of the out of the thing. I don't think that Melinda believes that her mother became the evil because she was surprised to hear a voice, which when the monster attacked her in the first episode, she's like, yeah, it says Melinda. And she's like, well, I thought I heard something. So if she thought her mother was still in there somewhere, she would not have been so surprised. Yeah, I guess she read the room better than i did because just visually yeah there was like a consumption but you know maybe it's just because this show is so goofily animated but i didn't hear a crunch or a gulp so i I don't know where that soul is you know i'm not 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 sure where souls go in this game Hmm. they return to the wheel don't they i don't know (laughs) i don't know how does copernicus even store and retrieve them does he does he zap them later and these people get to live out the rest of their lives. That's what I've heard. 
Yeah, yeah, we'll <laughs> we'll see that. We'll see this happen. We'll we'll see what happens when he wants to remove a, a soul from a body. So, yep, like I said, the hosts get to return to happy lives. Just um, and Melinda can go rain on someone else's parade a century or two later. <laughs> anyway, guys, that's it for us on the past within. Join us next week. Until then, I'm GC13. And I'm David. Don't forget to leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com. 